0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us as we listen to the lively messages of Brother Nick Manzi, a down-to-earth pastor who communicates God's truth in understandable and practical terms as you apply the Bible to your own life. Amen. 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 It's good to see you all here today. Good morning. What a praise to be able to see you all here today and join us as we uh, continue our study in Nehemiah. Uh, and, so, you know, I just want to touch base on a couple things that Pastor Don said is uh, with the, everything that's been happening, we're so blessed to be able to come back together. I'm getting glory bumps, seeing how many people are here today. And for our visitors, I don't get goosebumps. I get glory bumps. Uh, and, you know, we, we're doing things differently because of the whole COVID pandemic. And we're trying to keep people as safely as as possible. Uh, and sometimes it means keeping you safe from yourself. Uh, and, uh, you know, we we, we want to make sure we do that for you. So understand that when we say that we have to stay socially distanced, that, that doesn't just mean side to side, that, but, but that also means front to back. So if there's somebody behind you, in front of you, uh, and you're not that six foot apart, we have to also make sure we keep masks on in those times as well. So we want to be able to keep you safe. We're doing everything we can, you know, combat, uh, compounding on um, what we talked about last week. We got the the hospital grade air filters, so we can the recirculated air is going through finer points. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Don's back there <laughs> doing one of these, but we did that. We we're, we're, we wipe down every pew. We, we do the piano, the pulpit, the doors, the bathrooms, everything. We Lysol spray, and let me tell you, sometimes it's hard to breathe all that Lysol. But we're doing it because we want to keep you safe. And we're doing that. And by the way, if you come across any store that has Lysol spray, please buy a can for us. Okay, we can use it. We'll pay you back. We'll do what we can. But if you ever come across a Lysol spray in your normal shopping, we'll take a can as well. Okay, know that we need it. And because we are trying to keep you safe. And I want you to understand, we are doing this because we are trying to keep you safe but we're also trying to keep others safe. We care about you. Understand that we love you and we are so proud that you're coming back to worship with us. So keep that in mind. okay? with that being said, uh, you see that we're not having a normal offering time and we still need to collect our tithes and offerings, obviously, because we still have expenses to be able to do this building costs money to run. Uh, So if you look behind you, everybody that's in here, take a look behind you. Pastor Don, (laughs) well, there's a tithe box right there and there's another chest by Brother Henry by the door. So wherever you put it, that's okay, but I want you to know before after service, as you come in, as you leave, please put your tithes and offerings there. For those our friends that are online, know that we still have our mailbox that you can put uh, your tithes and offerings in. It's secured. We check it every day. We pull any kind of uh, uh, mail that comes in there, whether it's your tithes and offerings or regular mail, so it's all safe. Uh, and if you so choose, we also have online opportunities to be able to give uh, online. You go to our website, centralbaptistpsl.com, and right on top it says give. Uh, And you just click there and it takes you where you need to go to give electronically as well. So we're trying to do everything in our power to be able to keep you safe and to make things as convenient as possible, okay? So uh, we are uh, there and we're receiving a lot of uh, phone calls and emails about uh, suggestions and we take every suggestion seriously and we want you to know that, that we are taking it as as seriously as we can. But we have to think about everything everybody, not a small group of people. Okay. So I'm not here to tell you what to believe. I'm just telling you what we're doing. Amen. You know, it's, it reminds me about a pastor who was receiving an email from one of uh, uh, their newest members, a husband and wife, and the wife sent an email to the pastor to, uh, uh, telling that they started becoming interested in some of the spiritual things that he's been discussing on Sunday mornings. Well, the pastor told them that they were praying for them so much, and, and they're so glad to hear that they're starting to get interested. And so she responds back in her email and says, well, pastor, you know, after." have hearing your sermon this past week, I joined a women's Bible study at church. And, you know, we got together and we met for the first time this past Monday. And I really enjoyed that, that having that group of women to be part of. Unfortunately, the books were on back order. And so we, this week we kind of just sort of talked about different things. And the women asked, answered a lot of questions that I had. And it just seems like Pastor and I have so many questions that need to be answered. Well, She continued in her email. By the way, I never made it through the left behind book. The first 100 pages of that first book scared the pants off me. And the message came to me loud and clear as I was reading it. And since I've read that book, I've probably asked the Lord to come into my heart over 50 times, even though I know you say that it's only I only need to do it once. But I do it because I don't want to be left behind. I want to be sure that I get to go to heaven. And I want to be sure that my son and my husband also understands and that they grow spiritually with me. You know, Pastor, I get really worried about this whole change thing because... I kind of sort of like my life the way it is. But I'm also getting the drift. And the women in the Bible study group that I'm part of are really helping me out a lot. But honestly, Pastor, you and your wife, they've been my inspiration. And it's just taken me a little bit. Well, as tears started to roll down the pastor's face as he's reading this email. Another member from his church comes into his office and he's explaining to his pastor that his aunt is probably not expected to live the rest of the day. Well, here you have two men in this office, one who's experiencing great joy at one point and then another who's experiencing great sorrow. One that is impacted by the joy of a new birth, of a new Christian. And one that's impacted by, the angel, by, by her, his aunt, getting ready to spend eternity with God. But with jubilant joy, knowing that she had Jesus as her Savior. You know, this kind of underscores the truth of what we're going to talk about today. Times about when we're, we just feel like we're pumped up for God, and there's just other times that we're just bummed out of what's been going on in our lives. In fact, in our spiritual lives, we often experience this indescribable joy when we contemplate God's amazing grace. Amen? Amen. But then there's times that we just grieve and we mourn and we sort of tune out spiritually. You know, Paul linked this uh, joy and grief together in Romans chapter 7, verse 22 and 24. You could turn there or you could look it on the screen. Romans chapter 7, verse 22 through 24. It says, For I delight, this is Paul saying, uh, speaking, for I delight. That's the joy, by the way, in the law of God, according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. That's grief, by the way. Who will deliver me from this body of death? So we're going to study Nehemiah chapter 9 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can start opening it up there. Uh, and we're going to be breaking it down. And, uh, but before we start breaking down Scripture, I, I want us to be able to do the first things first. And that's going to our Lord in prayer. Can we do that? Let's pray. Lord Father, I just want to thank you so much for today. And I thank you for this opportunity to be able to worship you. Father, we don't deserve to come into that throne room that's full of mercy and love and grace. But because of your son and what he did on that cross for me and for each of these, we ask you for forgiveness so we could come to you with a clean and humbled heart as we kneel at your feet. Father, we, we do. We just look for, towards you for your wisdom. We just want to sit there like Martha did and just be able to look at you and say, Lord, just speak to me. Teach me. And let me know what you have to say. So, Father, just work in us and work through the Holy Spirit that's within us and be able to just revive us once again to be able to be spiritually on fire for for you, Lord. Not just in a minimal time period, but in every minute, every second of our lives, may we be spiritually on fire for you. So, Father, teach us what we need to learn today. And as you do, Father, I just pray that you just continue to use the Holy Spirit in our daily lives to be able to be revived when we get bummed out. Help us get pumped up today, Lord, and use Nehemiah and this word that you've given him and given us to be able to do so. Father, we thank you for all you do. And it's in your son's holy and precious name that we pray. Jesus, our Christ, our Messiah our Savior, and our Lord. Amen. You know, if you remember from what we learned last week in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, God's people were told to to stop that mourning process that they were in and start to rejoice in the Lord. Now now later, as we get into chapter 9, we're in in the same month, but later in the month, and those branch booths from the Feast of the Tabernacle are down, those tent of twigs are down, and now God's word is given central attention once again. But instead of that jubilant praise that they just had just a few weeks ago and last week as we studied that chapter eight, their mood turns into this sort of uh, repentant sorrow. See, Nehemiah 8 focused on God's word as it was read, as it was expounded upon and how as it was applied in everyday life. But now in chapter 9 here are those people they're responding back to what they just heard into probably the longest prayer in scripture that we can read and they're doing it with genuine gladness excuse me genuine sadness because they realize their sins So again, I told you to open up to Nehemiah chapter 9. I hope you started opening there. If you're using a pew Bible, by all means do so. It's on page 752, 752 in in the pew Bible. uh, For our visitors, I read from the New King James Version. Uh, I don't believe that there's no version that's perfect, uh, excuse me, uh, no version that's different than one another. They just speak a little differently. I I prefer New King James Version. That's what I read. We're going to skim through uh, Nehemiah chapter 9. And as we do, uh, we're going to touch base on some of these things and see how it blesses us. So after this thrilling encounter with God, which caused them to break into this huge celebration, the believers now come to face, uh, face-to-face with their own depravity. See, the prayer that we're about to read is this brilliant mosaic of biblical quotations, of recollections, of images, of phrases, and they're putting it all together in this wonderful, beautiful prayer. And this confession, well... It accurately expresses the people's confidence in God. If you have confidence in God, say amen. Amen. Man, I'm glad that you're confident about that. That's wonderful to hear. But they also show that they have disappointment with themselves. In other words, the declaration of guilt that they're expressing here has two different elements. They're confessing who God is, and then they have to confess their sins as well. See, you can't do one without the other. You have to know that that God is God and all that's entailed with it. But you have to know that you aren't God and that we have sins that need to be confessed. See, this chapter helps us to see three wonderful attributes of God that we must remember. Three attributes that have helped us, whether we're pumped up or bummed out. So let's start jumping into our first point this morning. Whether we're pumped up or bummed out, we must focus on the greatness of God. We must focus on the greatness of God. I should have heard an amen on that one. Amen. Because, see, there's nothing I can say that can really explain all the greatness of God. No matter what adjectives, no matter how many compound sentences I put together, it'll never equate to the true greatness of God. See, we see this greatness in the first six verses of chapter 9, and you can follow along in your Bible as I speak, because, but in verse 1, the Israelites start to gather together, and they start to gather on the 24th day of the month. On our calendar, by the way, that's October. Okay? Many times the Feast of the Tabernacles is celebrated in the 1st of October, or in that vicinity, they have a different calendar than our American calendar, understand but so it kind of gives you a timeline. It's Halloween season in ours, but in their season, it's a whole different animal. See, here they are. They're fasting. They're wearing sackcloth. If you remember all the things that in the Old Testament of what the Israelites would do, they, they put dust on their faces, on their heads, and they, they were doing everything they can. Why? Because these are common signs of mourning. They were showing that they were mourning and they were in deep sadness, See, they did this usually because of a loss of a friend or family member. But here they're doing it because they're trying to repent and recommit their lives to God. That's the kind of sadness that they're showing. They're trying to show us that this is something that you and I can learn. Are you really truly sad for what you've done wrong against God's word? Or are we just saying we did it wrong and just move on? You know I, I, Those of us who have kids know this, uh, this scenario. When you have a kid get caught doing something and they say, "I'm sorry." well, are you sorry because you got caught?" Or are you really sorry because of what you did? Let me ask you: Are you, serious, are you sorry because you sinned? Or are you sorry? Because you sinned. Then verse 2 comes up and it tells us that they separated themselves from all those that were having a bad influence on them. And as they heard the Bible read just a chapter earlier, they no doubt came across scripture that's in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, which says, And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and I've separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. See, are we doing that in our everyday lives? Are we separating ourselves from the people that are keeping us from being holy? And that can be in so many ways, can it? It can be in you know, a whole wealth of, of different, different ways and different scenarios. For us to be able to separate ourselves from those people. See, Israel's history tells us the tragic story of what happens when believers don't make a break from those that influence them wrongly. See, some of us get way too cozy with the things of this world, don't we? I think all of us can say that every once in a while. We get so cozy with the things of this world, with the things that's happening in our everyday lives. But God wants us to live distinctive lives that draw people to the Savior. You hear what I said? Not just distinctive lives, but lives that also draw people to the Savior. Who's the Savior? Say it with me. Jesus Christ. And notice they, in, they, they stood up On top of that. And then they get up in front of everybody and confess their own sins of what they were doing. But they didn't just confess their own sins. They confessed the sins of their fathers. Now, if you remember from last week, they couldn't wait to hear the word of God. They were so excited to hear it. But then as a result, in verse 3... We see that they spent a fourth of the day reading their Bible and then a fourth of the day in confession of worship. Let me put it in our terms. A day is not a 24-hour period in the Old Testament Scripture. Understand it. A day is daytime, okay? So take your 12 hours of daylight and take a fourth of it to read the the God's Word. Three hours every day. That they were doing this. And then three hours confessing their sins. See, this is extremely significant. And the order you have to take note of. The order of reading God's word and then confessing your sins. See, it's only when we read God's word that we really will see how far we come short. But once we contemplate our own sinfulness, that's when we'll begin to understand more about God's greatness. And as we do, oh, we'll break out in worship. Amen? See, so we'll be like those worshipers in verse 5 who invite the people to stand up and praise God. But then they start to jump into prayer. Blessed be your glorious name, who is exalted above all blessing and praise. See, adoration is truly the heart of real prayer. Adoration is important. Side note, let me give you a little acronym that you can use when you start praying. ACTS, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Take that home. That's a freebie for you today. We need to be able to give adoration to the one who deserves it. None of us do. Only he does. We we have to spend our time within the magnificence of God. And they do in scripture in verse six, look at it. It says, you alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. Man, isn't that wonderful? There is no one like God. Praise the Lord for that. You don't have to confuse yourself with anyone else because there's no one like God. And the evidence of His greatness is all over. It's seen in His works of creation in our everyday lives. You know, have you ever gone to a beach and just wonder what makes the waves stop exactly where they're stopping? Or maybe you get up early and you start to hear all the animals come up, come out, come to life and start chirping and squealing and doing rustling the leaves and whatever they do as they wake up in the morning. See, those are just two small examples of his creation that we can look at to see God's grace, God's greatness. Just look at his creation you know, during the French Revolution, many people wanted to get rid of Christianity altogether. And uh, one night, this atheist came out and he boastfully proclaimed that, his, uh, that he has a belief uh, system. And he was speaking to this poor peasant. So that peasant asked him, what was it? And he said, everything will be abolished with Christianity. Churches Bibles, the clergy, yes, even the word of God itself. We need to remove everything that speaks of religion. Well, after hearing this, that peasant, well, kind of chuckled and uh, uh, the atheist didn't like him laughing at him. So he asked him, what are you laughing at? And he pointed at the stars and replied, I was just wondering how you're going to manage to get rid of all that light out of there. (laughs) See, that's God. God. That is God. If you want to see the greatness of God, begin with His creation. It's always best to begin with the greatness of God. If we focus too much on what He gives to us or on what we want Him to do for us, well, that's when we start seeing our hearts become a little bit selfish. So, do you see God as great? Amen? If not, just look around and see His greatness. Look at His creation. Second, if we're pumped up or bummed out, we need to focus on the goodness of God. We must focus on the goodness of God. See, the bulk of this chapter focuses on that goodness. It all, from verse 17 through 15, God is the subject of every sentence. Could you imagine in, in your prayers making God the subject of every sentence? Now this part of the, of the prayer, it kind of rehearses the history of Israel, but it also reveals God's goodness to his people and their repeated failure to, to uh, appreciate his gifts and obey his word. You know, I've heard so many times over the years I've been preaching that we shouldn't focus so much on the Old Testament I hear things like, we're not under the law anymore. Or, you know, That's not pertinent to us because we have Jesus. I even hear her say, we're Gentiles, so none of this pertains to us. I want to say two things to all of those who say things like that. He who forgets the past is condemned to repeat it. And by the way, here's your second thing. This is part of God's holy word, so I'm studying it. Romans 15, 4 even helps us see the value of studying the Old Testament. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Say that with me together. Ready? For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Keep going. That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Do you see that? That's not in the Old Testament, is it? Boy, so studying the Old Testament, studying history, provides hope. Do you see that? Why? Because we get to learn more about God's goodness. So I believe God's goodness is seen at least four different ways in Nehemiah chapter 9. Take a look at verses 7 through 18 as we skim through it. First, God's goodness is seen in how he formed us. God's goodness is seen in how he formed us. See, he chose Abram and he brought Abram out of Ur and he made a covenant with Abram. You remember that story? Then when God's people were were suffering in Egypt, verse 10 tells us, that God made a name for himself by dividing the sea. You see that? And he released his people into bondage. And then in verse 13, if they recall God's goodness in the giving of the law, and then in verse 14 and 15, they praise God for how the newly formed nation came about and was. they were given a possession of this land that was promised to them. But they didn't even stop there. Then after his lengthy praise time that they gave, where they focused on God for his goodness, the choir of confession starts to sing out and it gives these words of guilt in verse 16, which says, but they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments. Do you know anybody in your family like that? I definitely do. We all have family. Me, I know I did. But this is followed by a reply from the other side of the choir loft. And in verse 17, it says, But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Now, I want you to see something here. By the way, that part I read was in the bottom part of verse 17, if you're looking on the screen. We can complain all we want about people committing sins. But we, if we're going to show God in our lives, we must be like God and be like 7 verse 17, ready to pardon, abundant in kindness, slow to anger, not forsaking those who sinned against us. Because what, you know what? God didn't do that for you, did he? Thank the Lord, because I don't deserve for him to be that for me. See, these people know that they're guilty, but they still know that God is good all the time. So do we remember that God is good all the time? See, all we need to do is remember that uh, looking back onto our lives, what God has done for us already Look at the history of our own lives. Look at the history of what we read in Scripture. Maybe even look at the history of your parents or forefathers in your own family. This is why it's so important for us to self-reflect on the challenges that I give during sermons or Bible studies. It's so important for us to be able to look back and see that even though that we're getting hit through some detours... Or even if everything is going smooth, that God has been good all the time. And if we remember that He has been good all the time, we can remember that God will be good all the time. Amen? Amen. And we do that by seeing how God formed us. Second, God's goodness is seen in God's leading, God's goodness is see- seen in His leading. You know, after forming the nation in verse 19, God was committed to to lead his people on a daily basis, even while they disobeyed him. In verse 20, it says that God gave his spirit to the people to provide for all their spiritual requirements, to provide for all their food, their water that they needed for their physical needs. And then verse 21 says, as they wandered for 40 years, the children wandered in the desert, their feet... Did not swell. Sometimes I have a hard time walking for two hours. And they did it for 40 years and their feet didn't swell. Their clothes didn't wear out. So God and his goodness will come as we allow God to lead. So are we going off on our own tangent? Are we doing our own thing? Or are we waiting for God to lead us to where he wants us to be? So, God's goodness is seen through the forming of the nation. It's seen by how He led them on a daily basis, but God's goodness is also seen in His provisions. God's goodness is seen in his provisions. See, God provided them with everything that they needed. He helped them to be able to defeat their enemies. And he gave them kingdoms and nations. And he multiplied their numbers by blessing them with children. In verse 25, it gives us a good summary of how God showed his goodness providing for their needs. God gave them so much more than they deserved. Their land was fertile that they were about to come into. They had, they had houses that were already furnished. The water was already running. And the fruit was just waiting to be picked up. See, they had everything that they needed. And they reveled in God's great goodness. In a similar way, God has given us everything we need as well. We have clothes. Everyone here is dressed. Praise the Lord for that. (laughs) But we have clothes. We have houses. We have cars. We have jobs. We have money. We have food. We have friends. We have family. We have so much more that God has given us. And albeit, it may not be exactly what you want, but He never promised that. He promised your needs, not your wants. God's goodness is seen in His provisions. Finally, God's goodness is also seen in His correction. Uh Uh-oh. We have to talk about it. If we're going to talk about the good stuff, we have to talk about how do we stay good too. After singing God's praises for his wonderful provision, that other choir remembered how their forefathers defied God. And they knew that God wanted uh, what God wanted because he made it very clear in his word. Remember, the Lord said unto them, how many times have we hear that? He made it so clear. And even though that every one of their mean needs were met, God's people still exhibited this rebellious type spirit and they tried to eliminate both the message and the messengers many times. You ever read Jeremiah? (laughs) Anyway, so instead of praising God for his goodness, those Israelites blasphemed them. And as a result, verse 27 tells us that God corrected them by handing them over to their enemies. God corrected them by sending their enemies to rule over them. See, throughout their history, God used successive world powers to both punish and correct the Israelites. First, it was Assyria, then it was Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, and then finally Rome. But all of this was done because he is a good God. Do you believe that? He demonstrates that fact so clearly through his forming of the nation, by his leading them, by his providing for them. And yes, even by his correcting them. God is a great God. He is so awesome. But there's one more part of his character that's given prominence in this chapter. And that is, whenever we're pumped up or bummed out, we must focus on the graciousness of God. We must focus on the graciousness of God. Look at verse 31 of chapter 9. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful I think every single one of us should be putting this in our prayers. Because we deserve for him to utterly consume us or utterly forsake us. But he doesn't. Why? Because he's gracious and he's merciful. God does not treat people the way they deserve to be treated. And let me tell you, that's a great thing. Because he's a great and awesome and mighty God. And because he is a God of grace, he is good to his people even when we're not good to him. In his mercy, God didn't give these Israelites what they deserved. And in his grace, he gave them what what they did not deserve. Drop down to verse 33 in our text. However, you are just in all that has befallen us. For you, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Did you notice the change in pronouns here? Instead of focusing on their sins, the people are now saying we did wrong. See, until we can personally own our specific transgressions, we are going to miss out on experiencing the grace of God. We must own up to what we've done. And every one of us has done something wrong. See, God doesn't just offer help from heaven. He offers up help from the inside. In other words, it's possible to change. God himself invests in us in ways that we discover over a lifetime with him. We don't have to stay in this sin cycle any longer. And I'm not talking about 10 for those who listened last week. Jesus has joined us in the process. Praise the Lord for that. And that's such indescribably good news to hear that Jesus came down to do that. We don't have to worry about a high priest anymore. A high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. See, but we have the one who is tempted in every single way that you and I are tempted on a daily basis. And yet he's without sin. So we need to approach the throne of grace with confidence so that you and I can receive mercy and we could find grace to be able to help us within our time of need. See this entire chapter it speaks of grace. God demonstrates His greatness. He demonstrates His goodness. And what do the people do? They turn from Him. They run from His Word. They persist in doing things their own way. In short, they sin repeatedly. Does that sound familiar? Maybe not to one of you. Hope not. But probably for all of us. We hear God's Word on Sunday. And on Monday, we revert back to the way we were. at any point god could have said that's it you've messed up too much you're on your own and even though he did spend some some time correcting their lives he still has never stopped loving them he's never stopped loving you see when we sin god exhibits his grace Whereas Romans chapter five verse twenty puts it, moreover, the law that entered, that excuse me, the law entered that the offense might be abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Oh boy, yeah, I look at that verse and I think, you know, every morning I have a cup of coffee. And there's always a little bit of residue in the bottom, a little liquid, a little coffee grain, whatever there is in the bottom. When I go to the sink, I put water, and the water that comes out is brown. But eventually, the water turns clear. See, that's what grace is. That's what grace is. You can have a little bit of sin in your life, a lot of, a lot of sin, but no matter how much sin you have, His grace abounds more. You know, Max Licato talks about a, a story uh, about a young girl from Brazil who wanted to go out and see the world. And she, she, she was discontent uh, with a home uh, because in her home she only had a pallet on the floor as a bed. Uh, she had a wash basin, a wood-burning stove, and she dreamed of this better life that she could have by living in the city. Well, one morning she slipped away in the middle of the night before breaking her mother's her heart. And knowing what the life on the streets would be for her young, attractive daughter, Maria, her mother, hurriedly packed and tried to go out and find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered this drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. And she sat in a photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on the pictures of herself. Well, her purse was full of these black and white pictures of herself. And she boarded the next bus to the city. Well, Maria knew that her daughter had no way of earning money. But she also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. See, when pride meets hunger, a human will do things that are unthinkable otherwise. Otherwise. Knowing this, Maria started beginning her search and she went to bars and hotels and nightclubs, any place that had a bad reputation. She went to every single one of those places. And in each one, she left her picture taped to a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, uh, fastened to a corner phone booth. But on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. And it wasn't too long before both the photos and the money ran out. And so Maria needed to go back home. Well, the weary mother boarded that bus and began her long journey back to her small village that they lived in. So it was a few weeks earlier that her young daughter descended those hotel stairs, and her face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth but it started speaking of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken and her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she longed to be able to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet, the little village was in too many ways too far away. While she reached the bottom of her stairs her eyes saw a familiar face and she looked again and there in the lobby was a small picture of her mother. Well, Christiana, the daughter, her eyes burned and her throat starting to lighten and she walked across the room and she removed the photo and written on the back of it was a compelling invitation that read, whatever you have done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And so she did. See, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, no matter where you've been, I will tell you it doesn't matter. Jesus just wants you to come home. But in order to do that, whether we're pumped up or burned out, We need to focus on the greatness of God, the goodness of God, and the graciousness of God. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Lord Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for being such a wonderful God. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your only begotten Son, not just to live with us, but to become one of us, to be able to... feel the things that we feel, to be able to endure the things that we have to endure, to be able to combat the rest of the world like we do each day. Thank you for that. But we especially thank you for allowing him to die on a cross, to be able to have his blood cover our sins if we only just accept that grace and to be reunited with you once again through the the death and the resurrection of Jesus, our Christ, our Messiah. Father, we just want to thank you for all that. And we want to thank you for giving us a time to be able to study this word through Nehemiah, to be able to learn from the history of the Israelites that's not much different than the present day that we live in. So, Father, forgive us. Forgive us how we fail you. Teach us how to be able to walk away from the things that make us fail you. The people that bring us down. Whatever it is, Lord Father, guide us not into some stress, or some strife, but guide us into your bosom that we might be able to rest Father, I just pray that you just uh, to be with us as we lift ourselves to you, as we kneel at your feet, Lord. Father, I just want to just ask you, please, to be able to just put your hand upon us, Lord. And maybe just tap us on the shoulder when we're about to do something wrong. Slap us upside the head when we fail to listen. Trip us up so we don't keep on walking the wrong path. Whatever it takes, Father, help us. And Father, thank you for putting your photo all over the place for us. To know no matter where we've been, what we've become, what we've done. You're still asking us to come home. Thank you for that, Lord. So, Father, I just pray that you just be with each one of these. Be with me as we leave here today, Father. I just pray that you just help us understand that you are in control of all things because you are a great God. And no matter what this world says or does, you are still in control. And no matter what happens to your word here on earth, Father, we can still look at your creation and know that you're still awesome and great and you're still there. So, Father, thank you for that. And, Father, thank you for being good. You care for us so much to provide for our needs. You even give us some of our wants. and We thank you for all that. Help us be humbled and and grateful for what you do provide to us, Lord. But, Father, we know you're gracious and you'll forgive us of our sins. But, Father... Help me be more gracious to others. Father, make us so infectious with your grace that so many more people come to knowing your saving grace. Start with me. Start with these. Because we love you, Lord. And we are so sorry for how we failed you. Father, be with us today. Be with us tomorrow. Be with us in all the days that you've willed into our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Nick Manzi is Senior Pastor of Central Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. If you want more information about the church, or if you're ready to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, contact Brother Nick at psl at gmail.com. God bless you as you go about the rest of your day, and thank you for listening and sharing our podcast.